Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, yeah, supposed to do the scripture reading next, but I do uh, kind of want to add a little bit to what uh, Dan was saying already on Revelation. Why are we doing Revelation of all things? Um, first, just a little bit of history and background to this. I started studying the book of Revelation as a senior in high school. Um, that's kind of when I fell in love with it. Why as a senior in high school? Uh, well, as a, as a junior in high school, I found myself in a Christian school, because uh, it was the only one who would take me anymore. Anyways, um, and, and the, the teacher that I had my senior year of high school was just amazing. And he taught on the book of Revelation, and it was just so intriguing and interesting, I kind of fell in love with it. So I've been studying it for a long time. Um, I'm not pretending like I'm an expert in it, just that I have uh, taken a look at a lot of different views on it. And for some reason, and it, I'm going to say the Holy Spirit, has just been dropping it in front of me a lot over this summer. Part of it is, this is a kind of a time when a lot of people are talking about it. Uh, a lot of people are feeling end times feelings right now, and there's a lot of bad theology out there and teaching on this. There's, there's a lot of thoughts and ideas on Revelation that are like 200 years old, which I know that sounds like that's really old, except when you start thinking about people like Ambrose and Augustine and Justin Martyr and all of these people who were, who were studying and writing commentaries and reading this book for 1,500 years <laughs> before anybody ever really started having these ideas that are kind of popular today. And so the, the traditional reading, the, the reading of the church fathers, the, the very old school stuff, that's what we're going to be focusing on when it comes to Revelation, the way that um, the, the disciples of the apostles read Revelation is kind of what we're looking for. And also, by the way, this is going to be for sale. They're not all that expensive. Um, I've got to figure out the price point yet. We're obviously not going to make money on it. It's just how do we charge you exactly what it costs us. Um, so it's the other reason to introduce this early because we want you to sign up to buy them. I'm also going to print off a little key that you can just stick right here in the front for all of like, what does this number mean? And what is the first beast and the second beast and the dragon and the woman and the harlot and the, and the what are these numbers and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we're going to have a bookmark in it so you can know, kind of put it where you were. Uh, and hopefully also we'll be printing up these little tabs that will help you find where we're at and, and kind of organize it for you. So at the end of the year, this could be a really valuable resource for you, a, a total Bible study, literally in a book, ready to go. And as Dan said, I'm going to be preaching on it on Sundays, and we're going to go in order, but the problem with that is I can't preach every single word of this in one program year through, through Easter. So Wednesday evening Bible studies, we're going to cover stuff, and Bible studies are just different from preaching in general. So um, if you want the absolute full experience, it is Sunday and Wednesday. Um, we are working out exactly how we're going to do it, but we will record Wednesday evenings. Sundays are obviously recorded uh, every week, so even if you miss a Wednesday, you can still go back and, and get your notes on this. So that's what this is about. I'm actually very excited about it. It's, it's going to be an awesome year. And there's a lot, um, a lot, a lot, a lot that's coming up for Rally Day. So really don't miss that. It's, 
I've already warned Sarah, um, I've got to have a whole section on, on the stuff that we're going to try and accomplish this year. So uh, sermon plus a whole bunch of other stuff. Now, let's get to our text for today and building a bridge to the falsely religious. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 58, starting with verse 2. Verse 1 is, is I skipped that just because it's God saying to Isaiah, shout like a trumpet, this stuff. Okay, so starting at verse 2. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. We have fasted, and you see it not. We have humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure, and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and spread the sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bond of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. Brothers and sisters in Christ, before we dive into this, let's, let's first get a good definition of what we're talking about with the falsely religious. We're not talking about unbelievers. And that's not what we're saying. Because especially this text from Isaiah is spoken to the people of God. This is a text where, where Isaiah is shouting these things to the people of God, to the very, the very ones God has chosen to be part of his kingdom. This is not unbelievers. These are the believers who are doing things religiously but with false precepts. That word religion, religiously, it gets a, it gets a, a bad name, really. It's, it's sort of used derisively in an, in an ugly way. I'm religious. You're such a religious person. And people say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Well, everybody's religious if you do something religiously. <laughs> I tell people all the time, you should definitely like, change the oil in your car religiously. Every three months, do that. If you don't, bad things are going to happen. You should probably eat religiously, you know, a couple times a day. You should probably drink water religiously. You should do things religiously, and we should do things in the kingdom of God religiously. There's, there's nothing wrong with, with being a religious person. 
Coming to church religiously just means you come here to be fed the word of God. You come here to praise the Lord and to receive from him good gifts. That's, there's nothing wrong with being religious. It's the false religious. Wow. Those people are annoying, aren't they? And you know who they are. And, and hopefully you're kind of building in your head through this whole sermon series since we started way back after Easter that, yes, we're building bridges to these people. And I keep finding that oftentimes I'm kind of one of those people too. Yeah, that's on purpose. That's, you know, that was by design. If you're figuring it out, you got me. That's the idea. Because we've all been a little bit falsely religious. Still believers, still of the kingdom, still, still faithful and saved and will be there at the resurrection together. I'm not saying any of that, but what we're talking about are those moments in time when religion doesn't work. It's the first point of the sermon. When religion doesn't work. It's, it's okay, <laughs> it's understandable that we've all felt this before. Like, isn't faith in God supposed to, to like, benefit me somehow? And it's, it's not wrong to kind of have that thought. And in the same way, it's not wrong for me if, if, if my neighbor needs help and I go and I, and I help my neighbor to, to just sort of know that I've built some goodwill and that in a time of need, my neighbor will help me. But if that's what I'm doing, if, if I go and my neighbor needs help and I say, all right, I'll help you, but you owe me one, now we know, we all agree, that's not part of the kingdom. <laughs> that's not kingdom stuff. That's not what we're supposed to do. And yet we do it with God all the time. And that's in our text this morning. So don't feel like you're alone. In, in Isaiah 58, there's these quotes because the Lord is speaking. He's saying to the people through Isaiah the prophet, here's what I'm hearing from you. You're saying to me, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? We're, we're doing all the right stuff, God. I, I fasted and you didn't even notice. I humbled myself and you're not even acknowledging how religious I am, oh Lord. Man, the people in Isaiah's day were, were lousy. Well, not just Isaiah's day. Let's go to Malachi chapter 3. We're all familiar with the earlier section of Malachi chapter 3 where it says, test, in me or test me in this. If you give, then I will pour out. We all know that one. Go a little bit later in Malachi chapter 3, and starting at verse 13. Again, the Lord says, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But then you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. This has been a problem for God's people all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, and even today. We expect this certain sense of cause and effect, right? I have, I have done a thing, and the effect ought to be 
in relationship to that. I have done a faithful thing. The, the people in Malachi's day are saying, we have done these things. We have mourned as God has asked us to mourn. We are walking in his ways. And the word is literally, what profit? What is in it for me? And when the people of God do this, when we behave this way, we discover that religion doesn't work. Doesn't work like that. <laughs> as, as Dan put it, the, the cosmic vending machine where I've done a good thing and the Lord of hosts does a good thing for me. This isn't the kingdom of God. This is, oh, that's describing karma. And it's not what we believe as Christians. We don't believe in putting things out to the universe. We don't believe that a good thing comes with a good cosmic reward because we don't believe that we are God. See, it is okay. It is okay for people to have this sort of relationship. It's okay for, for me to, to almost feel like, if, even if my friend, my neighbor, or, or coworker, whoever it is, has done something good for me, it's, it's okay for me to feel, in a sense, I do sort of owe him one. That's good for culture. That's good for society. It's good for relationships. You, you don't want to feel too much guilt. You don't want to feel too much pressure. But on the other hand, I'm dealing with other sinful creatures. So that sort of relationship is okay, but when it comes to God, we're not dealing with a sinful creature. We're dealing with the perfect creator, the one who has made all people and all creatures. We're dealing with, with not anything like a person. He's not like us, and we should be grateful for that. As we say all the time, if it worked this way, that I do what I do and then God gives me what I deserve, what you do and what you deserve is eternal punishment. That's what you deserve. You've not done good enough to make up for all of the sin of your life, even the sin that you were born into. It's not even possible to do. This is why we have a God who is so different from us. He doesn't give to us what he deserves. He gives to us rather his son. And he comes and he walks amongst us. And he lives amongst us. And he dies for us. This is how, this is how it's supposed to be understood. Not that religion can work for me, but when we when we're dealing with this in our own heart and when we see it in other people, the falsely religious, what we're dealing with is not people who are trying to impress you or me. They're trying to impress God. I think this is important, so I'm going to spend a little bit of time here. This is, this is what the falsely religious really are, and, and I see it on Instagram reels all the time. So it's you know, the, the Christianity that's very grammable, Right? The, I'm so blessed. You know, I, I had nothing but faith in the Lord. And now look at my giant mansion. And I, I've got the sign that says blessed on the wall. And faith, hope, and love is over here. And, and I got all of these beautiful things in my beautiful house because God loves me so much. No. <laughs> no, that's not why you got that. 
you got that because you were good with your money, you were lucky, you were born in a place uh, that has a lot of opportunities in our country to be successful. Maybe your parents were rich. Congratulations. That's not God. <laughs> That's just not how it works. That is not to impress you. That is not to impress me, really, even though it sounds that way. What it really is, is an insecurity. It's a fear. This is what sin does, is, is, it, is it causes this insecurity and fear inside of us where we say, have I done enough? And, and there is some sense of, I haven't. There's some inadequacies if I don't have the really big, nice house that that person has. As I'm flipping through the reels, as, as I'm watching these things, and, and I see some, somebody talking about loving Jesus and how they have been blessed, and because of their faith, of course I'm going to say, my house doesn't look like that house, and, and my, my car doesn't look like that car, and my, my life doesn't look like their life, so maybe I'm not religious enough. Here's our mistake. Here's our mistake is now we are catching their insecurity, right? It's contagious. Now we're catching that insecurity and thinking, okay, so I haven't fasted enough as the Israelites were saying. We're fasting. I haven't been in mourning enough, walking in his ways enough. I haven't been doing enough for God to bless me as much as God has blessed them. You see how that insecurity, that fear that I'm not in a good relationship or good enough relationship with the Lord is contagious to the point where now I'm the falsely religious well, maybe I just got to post more on Instagram. Maybe that's the key. Maybe the Lord has said, go to the ends of the earth via Instagram and tell people how much you pray and how faithful you are and all of these things, and then you shall be blessed. I have read the book, and I ain't seen it in there. So it's not the case. You know what is the case? It's a term I'm going to see if I can coin. <laughs> It is gospel insecurity. You know, we hear about food insecurity today in our culture. It's a phrase we have to learn because as Americans, we don't have the same problems that a third world country has when it comes to food. There's, there's never really a time when a whole city or community doesn't have enough to eat. That just isn't how it works. But there are pockets inside of our community here in Des Moines and in other places where there is food insecurity, meaning it, it's there, but not really secure. I mean, there may be a, a day or two where these families are missing a meal or two. There may be a week when things are really tight and we're eating just ramen noodles. So it's, it's not that there isn't food, but there's food insecurity. Gospel insecurity, what I'd like to do is, is use this phrase in a, in a similar way to say, it's not that I don't have the gospel and have faith in Jesus, but it, ooh, there's, there's days and weeks when it feels insecure when it feels light, when it feels insufficient, we struggle with a, a gospel insecurity, and I believe one of the symptoms of that is this false religion. That's, that's how I know we've got 
we've got some gospel insecurity because you need to show me and you need to show the world how religious you are and how blessed you are, but really, you're not trying to show me, you're trying to show God. So, what are we supposed to do to combat that? What are we supposed to do to, to challenge that mindset in others? That's not your job. <laughs> it's literally the next point in the sermon. That's not your job. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, so therefore, unless you are, of course, Isaiah the prophet, unless the Lord reveals in a vision to you and then confirms that vision with somebody else and the Holy Spirit works through you, and, and if that's the case, talk to me first. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it. Unless that's the case, your job isn't to combat that, that's God's job. And in fact, it's, it's awesome. The, the children's message this morning is perfect. To combat it in you is the Holy Spirit's job to combat this in you. And, and it isn't to combat it by way of beating you down, of making you feel guilty for all of the good gifts that you have. Because here is the reality. Compared to the rest of the world, surely compared to the places we as a congregation you, as, as many who are gathered here, have been to Kenya, to refugee camps. You all live in mansions. And your cars are all better than their cars because they don't have them. And their, their, mansions, their mansions are smaller than this altar area up here. It's, so, so yeah, it's us too. And it's the Holy Spirit's job not to make you feel guilty about those things. It's the Holy Spirit's work to secure you in the gospel. To tell you this is not how it works. <laughs> it doesn't work that the more you have, the more you've been blessed. The more you have, the more God loves you. The more you've been given, clearly the more Jesus loves you. This is not how it works. This might be how it works with your friends, with your neighbors, with your coworkers. That might be how it works. But if you're gospel insecure, stop thinking of God like he's a friend, a neighbor, or a coworker, or a family member. Think of God as who he is, this cosmic, incredible being that really you have a debt you can't pay who doesn't feel as though he owes you anything because he don't <laughs> owe you anything but rather he loves you so much that he pardons your sin and he puts all of your sin on Jesus on the cross where it is dealt with where, where it is killed crucified brutally. This is the wrath of God is all put there on the cross. There's literally none left. It is sufficient, meaning like not just enough, meaning the, all of the wrath of God, every last bit was, was put there on Jesus. There are times when, and it, it doesn't happen a lot, so don't, I'm going to get stressed out. There are times when I can be frustrated with just the way things are going in my life, frustrated with, with mission and ministry and wishing I had gone a little bit further or done a little bit more or I thought I had this figured out and I was dead wrong about it and I get to the spot where I just need to blow off some steam. So I go to the gym. <laughs> and there will be at that gym a puddle of sweat and, and tears running down my face, and I'll stand in front of a heavy bag, and I'll throw punches or I'll lift weights, and, and there will be this moment where I'm just done. 
I, I got nothing left. I'm not, I'm not angry, frustrated, sad, or anything. It's, it's all been taken out on a pile of weights and a heavy bag. And there's nothing left for, for Herb. Sorry, I'm just kidding, Herb. <laughs> Where is he, by the way? I saw this more. There he is. <laughs> I, I pick on Herb. I should tell for, for people visiting today. I pick on Herb because we have a great relationship. So, yes, he's annoying. Yes, he's old. Yes, he's bothersome. Yes, he's... <laughs> But we're also friends <laughs> and, and a Packer fan or Bear fan or whatever he is. Who cares? Anyways, there's nothing left. I have nothing left. This is God to Jesus on the cross. There's just nothing left. He, he took it all out. So, so there should be no gospel insecurity in any of us. You're never going to convince God that you're doing enough. But he also hasn't asked you to. <laughs> You're never going to convince God that you are faithful enough, that you have done enough things, that you have witnessed enough, that you have given him glory enough, that you've done this enough or that enough. You're never going to convince him to love you because he just already does. And that insecurity that you have, just let it go. This is, this is just trusting and believing what the scripture says. This isn't anything that I'm making up. This isn't anything that, that Pastor Luke has developed as his own special message or gospel. This is what the book says. This is what the, the message of the gospel has always been. But it's so hard for us to treat God as though he is God and not as though he's like me. But there's another text that I want to hit before we go on. Oh, I've got to make sure I find the right one. This is verses 6 through 7. Verses 6 through 7. This is what the Lord says. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of the wickedness. To undo straps of the yoke to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? This is what the Lord wants. He doesn't want all of the, the big stuff that, that people can see us doing. And this isn't very Instagrammable, right? Because the second you, you put it on the gram that I'm going downtown to feed the hungry, you're trying to impress others and God, and you're not doing it because they're hungry. You're not doing it because they need you. Doing God's will and, and doing these things that he says he desires doesn't impress him. It doesn't. He could do it too. It doesn't help him. It doesn't serve him. It serves the hungry, the oppressed, the poor. They need it. And, and so you who can do something, do it for them. Not for Instagram, not for other people, not to impress God, because they need this. They, they're in a place of need, and you are in an ability, in, in a place where you can help. And when you're doing it with that heart, all you're doing is what Christ does. All you're doing is with the heart of Christ doing the work of Christ. 
Jesus didn't die on the cross to impress anybody. (laughs) Jesus didn't do what he did, healing people to impress anybody. These are signs and miracles that show to us the kingdom of God and the way it will be at the resurrection. These are miracles designed not to impress, but to tell everybody what I'm about to do is going to work, and it's going to be sufficient, not because I'm a really good person, but because I am God. And so the the job of fixing the false religion in you is to have a heart like Christ and to go and serve like Christ. Because what did he do? He found people in need like you and me. And he gave to us what we couldn't get on our own. Not food, not clothing, not shelter, but grace and forgiveness and eternal life. And that is when religion does work. (laughs) Last point in the sermon. Religion does work. Not when it's the false religion, but when it is as Jesus, through Isaiah, proclaims to us this morning, there is a time and a place where religion does work. With a heart like Christ, serving others, not so that others can see it or know it or be impressed, not to impress God, but to serve those who need to be served. When we do this, this is verse 8 and 9, the Lord says through Isaiah, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then You shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from their midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, that's when the Lord draws near and says, here I am. Those those people who really should have a sign in their house that say, blessed are the ones who feel that presence of the Lord when he says, here I am, right here. And where are you going to find that? It's, it's, not, it's not when everybody notices or when God notices how good you are, but as you are serving those in need, as you are doing the, the will of the Lord, living as God has called you to live with a heart made right by God, and then that right heart doing as Christ would do to help those in need to serve others, not for brownie points with the, the Heavenly Father, but just because they need you to. In, in those moments, you will feel his presence. You will say, Lord, where are you? And he'll see him right there in front of you. In, in the love that people have for you, in the challenging situations, in the brokenness, in the heartache, in the pain, in the mourning, in the suffering, in the death that is all around us, as we're serving in those moments, we will see Christ when we're doing this with others because that's where he meets us in our suffering in our insecurities, in our need, whether it's for food or for companionship, whether it is for housing and shelter, or if it is for a connection with somebody who understands us. This is where we'll find God. Not in those big moments of convincing the world how great God is in our lives, 
but in those soft, quiet, indiscriminate, little, nobody else sees moments, there, there you will find true religion. Amen. May the peace which surpasses human understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Would you please stand to pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the gift of life that you have given to me, for the gift of this new heart that seeks to serve, that seeks to help others in the way that you have done for me. Not that I can remove their sin, but rather I can meet them in brokenness and in their own uh, troubles and trials, that I can know and understand that you are a God for them as much as you are for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Receive the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give to you his peace. Amen.